0: We have guests in the studio with us, Dr. Scott Jensen, who is uh, running for governor in the state of Minnesota. Also, Matt Burke, who's running for lieutenant governor. And, gentlemen, great to have you. Scott, good to have you with us today. We've talked before.
1: Lynn, thanks for having us. This is exciting. Two days ago, we made a launch video, and I think we turned Minnesota upside down. People are realizing that you have two energized people who are going to do everything they can to make Minnesota better.
0: And Matt Burke, you've been a football star. You're a lanky, good-looking young guy. Wow. Could do anything you wanted in the world. <laughs> Why are you running for Lieutenant <clears throat> Governor? And, and tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Well, I like full contact sports, Lynn. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> after I couldn't play football anymore, I decided to get into politics. Uh, no, you're know, uh, born and raised in Minnesota, but actually excited to be on with you and talking to your listeners. I uh, uh, come from a long line of dairy farmers, and uh, my mom made it off the farm, but I spent summers on the farm. And uh, it's always special to uh, you know, come out, come out here, and 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 get outside the city. But um, you know, for me, I, I people ask me all the time, why why did you get involved? You know, why why are you with Scott? And I say there's two reasons. Uh, one, I have really high expectations for our state of Minnesota, and I think that uh, those we're falling woefully short of those. I mean, we we have everything here to be, I believe, the best state in 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 the country, and uh, and we're way below that. But then uh, number two, uh, Mets just happened to bump into Scott about a year ago and got to know him a little bit and was really impressed with him personally. You know, Scott is what I call a high-functioning individual. <laughs> he's, he's accomplished uh, a lot of things. And then uh, as Scott kind of gained some fame during the pandemic, uh, he was out there speaking, you know, speaking the truth, not putting any political spin on it, but just informing people of, of what we were going through. And, uh, and that came a great personal risk to him. And uh, it took a lot of courage. And so as I've been hanging around Scott and going to some events, I've, I've noticed the, uh, the movement that he's created with the people of Minnesota, not the politicians, with the people. And going to his events, I, I met a lot of people just like me who had never been to something like that before, but they were there because of, because of Scott. And so I truly believe that it was, that it was, uh, that it was something special, and, uh, and it's evolved, and, and now I'm running for lieutenant governor.
0: Obviously, Scott, you'd have, uh, you're the guy that had your pick of who you're going to run with. Why this guy?
1: Well, I could answer the question perhaps two ways. One is I could tell you what I wasn't interested in doing, Lynn, and I wasn't interested in virtue signaling or satisfying the people screaming for identity politics. I'm sort of a Bud Grant kind of guy. I remember when Bud Grant was asked, are you going to draft a quarterback or a safety or a defensive tackle? And he said, we're going to draft the best athlete available at the time we draft. And for me, the best person for me would be someone who had character because it's hard to teach character. They have to have character from the get-go. And I think you need a skill set. And I needed a skill set that would complement mine because I've got weak spots to be sure. I have areas where I need someone to help lead. And so the skill set was important. And then lastly, you have to be determined. Politics is nasty business. And I think if you're not determined – you may well get caught up in all the noise. And it can be it can be pretty difficult to tolerate. So I was looking for character. I was looking for a skill set. I was looking for determination. And I would say that Matt Burke and I did a bit of a dance for three or four months where we had ongoing conversations and we talked about what it could look like. And so when I asked Matt if he would be uh, my partner, my teammate, he said, yeah, I would. And my wife and I are just thrilled because Matt Burke is arguably, perhaps the leading Minnesotan when it comes to a family values, character-driven, accomplished individual. So who better?
0: Well, that's great. And Matt, uh, obviously, you've Put your money where your mouth is, you might say, when it comes to education and young people. Tell us about that.
2: Well, yeah, education's made a huge difference in my life. It, it, was, it, was, it was massive. I mean, I, I wouldn't have continued my football career had, had, had I not had, received a good education and uh, was able to go to Harvard University, yeah, which uh, is one of the best universities in the world. Um, but, yeah, my wife and I co-founded a school uh, three years ago, a Catholic school in Burnsville, Minnesota. And um, we wanted to do it for a couple of reasons. Um, but one, maybe the main reason, is that we think the education model is broken. Um, have we, we're blessed with eight children. So we've, we've been to a lot of schools. We've moved all around. We've been to a lot of schools. And I, we've actually kind of really been involved in education since 2002 when we set up our own foundation. And what we saw was a really antiquated model. We saw a, a focus that was just all about getting kids to college. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer. Not every college isn't for everybody. And, and, and that's okay. I mean, kids were, kids would be made to feel less if, if they weren't, you know, good in the, in the, in the system. Um, but a lot of the skills that we were teaching uh, kids just really aren't useful anymore. We reward memorization and regurgitation, um, which when I was in school and you were in school, was that's a valuable skill to have. Right. Because right? if you didn't right. know something, you had to go to the library and try to figure out that Dewey Decimal System and, and, and look it up. Well, now, you know, everybody's got a supercomputer in their pockets and, uh, we found that uh, the skills that are needed to have not just to be successful in uh, in the workforce, but to, to really have a satisfying life, uh, they weren't being they weren't being taught in schools. Um, you know things like uh, things like resilience, things like empathy, uh, hands on learning, um, almost almost nowhere in our schools right now. So so our school Unity Unity Catholic High School, um, we focus on all those things as well as you know reading, writing, and and, and arithmetic. But we really want to get kids ready for life, whether they go to college or the military or, or the workforce. And, and we think there's equal dignity in all of those things.
0: Uh, it, it's something that uh, it bothers me when we look back at our founding fathers, who most of them were wealthy people that ended up giving up everything they had in order to form the United States. Many of them ended up completely penniless and so on, but they sacrificed. We don't want to talk about those people anymore. Yeah. And I think that's a shame.
2: Well, it is, you know, and I mean, it's shame for a lot of reasons, but it's, it's all a shame because it's the truth. I mean, that's, that's, that's history. You know, it's a fact. You can't, you can't build a society on lies. And, uh, and, and, and I think we're doing our kids a, a lot of disservice uh, in the education system by, by, by teaching them things that, that, uh, that, that, just aren't true. You know, that there's, uh, I don't know, you know, all, all these, all these genders or, or rewriting history um, that you're just doing kids a, kids a disservice by by teaching them things that are false.
0: Scott, speaking of that,
2: I know a lot of folks
0: were very frustrated through the whole COVID situation with the information that was coming out from the CDC and other sources, not knowing for sure what what exactly do we believe in all of this. You are out there trying to be a voice of reason speaking your mind, and you are right in many, many, many ways.
1: Well, thank you, Lynn. I think What happened with me and COVID is I sort of got sucked into this national conversation without realizing what was happening. All I was trying to do was inject my perspective of what's happening here. So the first thing that really put me on the radar screen for a lot of folks, I think, was when I raised my hand and said, when you ask me to put on a death certificate COVID-19, even though the patient was on hospice and was going to die from stage four colon cancer, You're corrupting the data. And that has downstream consequences, which aren't good. I mean, I made the analogy. If we have 650,000 deaths every year from heart disease, and suddenly it drops to 450,000 because we code deaths, not as heart deaths, but instead as COVID deaths, you're going to have many people take that data and spin it in a favorable way to them. Certainly, you might have big pharma saying, see, this Lipitor that people are on, we need to have these people on Lipitor and we need to do more Lipitor. And I think that kind of a situation where a pharmaceutical company could say what we've been doing has made all the difference in the world. No, it wasn't. So that was really what I was trying to do. I was just, I guess I'm naturally a skeptic and I was trying to put some context to it. And I had no idea that within two months of doing that, I would be investigated. I never had any inclination to be the most investigated doctor in Minnesota, but (laughs) it's it's a title that I have, and I'm now on my fifth investigation, and I will stick to my guns. I think we all should be skeptical, and I think the CDC has really demonstrated how political an organization they are. We need the CDC to be strong, but in this situation, honestly, if you want good, reliable data around the world, it's not the CDC that you go to. You go to Israel. You go to the United Kingdom. You may go to Portugal. You may go to Iceland. You may go to Sweden. The bottom line is the CDC has failed us because they have fractured the public trust because of their politics.
0: Let's talk about what you see as the big issues right now. Uh, crime. Uh, I know a lot of folks won't drive downtown Minneapolis anymore. They're they're afraid to go there. And, and, uh, that, and obviously the Ukraine situation, the f- price of fuel, inflation, and so on, From both of you guys' perspective, how do you rank the problems we're facing and what do you do? Well,
1: I'll jump in. I think right away I'd say public safety is huge. And we can triple the number of cops we have in Minneapolis. And if you need a cop right there in 10 seconds and they're not there, they're there in two minutes. That's fast, but it's not fast enough. So I honestly think that we need to have our judges uh, be more if you will, balanced. I think that they've become extremely liberal. I think they're they're willing to plea bargain eight-year sentences down to a few months. I think we need to have more cops on the street. I think we need to respect the work police do. I think we need to recognize that incarceration has to be a tool used to keep felons from uh, recidivism. But I also think that people are going to have to invest themselves too and be a part of restoring our public safety. And for me, that means we need to pass uh, some Second Amendment rights bills. We need to elevate our rights and we need to have standard ground constitutional carry and have some castle doctrine written into the statute so that people know that in their home in their business in their car they can do whatever they need to to keep themselves and their loved ones safe clearly we need to do more in terms of having secure elections and i think we also need to realize that when it comes to school choice we've got to quit funding broken institutions we got to let the, the funds follow the kids that's, those are three big issues, and clearly I think science has been sacrificed to political science. Mm-hmm. We're spending too much, and we've got to have an energy policy that makes sense. And I think Governor Walz has failed terribly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll keep banging that drum on education. You know, right now you look at all the stakeholders, uh, teachers, not not happy. Teachers are striking right now. Uh, parents are, are fighting for the right to see what, uh, what what their children are actually being taught in school. They got a little bit of a glimpse when, when there was distance learning um, going on. And and the students are hurting, um, not just academically with test scores and the largest achievement gap between uh, white students and students of color in the country, uh, right here in Minnesota, but uh, but also their mental health. And uh, so it's it, it's not working for anybody, you know. And uh, and, and allegedly, uh, our current governor ha- has an education background. You know that's the that's the irony of it. So I think and one and this is one of the things I really a- appreciate about about Scott is. Uh, his, his, his willingness to put everything on the table, you know, Scott's very intellectually curious. Um, and, and I mean, sometimes that's gotten you in trouble with, with, with some of the, uh, with some of the Republicans, but, but, but let's, you know, let's, let's zoom way out and, 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 and just for the sake of going through the exercise, let's reimagine education. And, uh, and certainly, you know, I, I mean, I think, I think it's actually, um, it, you know, it's nobody's fault. It's everybody's fault, but to, to think that, uh, one-size-fits-all when it comes to education and to have these giant schools uh, 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 around the state where there's thousands, in some cases, thousands of students going there and, and, and being able to provide everything for every single student. And also, we, we have to realize that our youth is coming from a, uh, it's a very toxic culture out there. And, and, and social media is not doing our young people any favors. We're asking too much of, uh, too much of our teachers. So I think we need uh, different types of schools for different types of kids. One size does not fit all. One size fits one. And, and give families that choice and, uh, and 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 from the financial perspective uh, You know, we're spending I don't know, 13, I think $13,000 a year per student in Minnesota and, and that doesn't count uh, the, the tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of million dollar facilities uh, that we're building. Uh, I know I know my wife and I at Unity High School, it costs us about seven thousand dollars a year to educate a student uh, and we don't have everything that, uh, that 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 other schools have, but uh, but but we're 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 a niche. We have everything that we need to serve our families.
0: What about parental input? Even that's become <laughs> nationally. If you uh, you're a terrorist, if you go to a school board meeting and you raise your voice about I don't think this is right, oh, how do you respond to that?
1: Well, George Orwell wrote uh, the book 1984 in 1948. And I can only imagine what he would say if he saw that the President of the United States was asking the Attorney General to mobilize the FBI to investigate those disruptive parents who are actually going to school board meetings expressing frustration and at times perhaps raising their voices. This is astonishing. And God bless the mama bears and the papa bears because they are literally leading the way for Minnesota and for all of America to recognize the power of getting involved. We're seeing it, Lynn, at every level. We're seeing people run for city council, school board, township supervisor, house of representatives. People are saying no standing on the sidelines anymore. Maybe I was complacent. But when I see the wrongness of critical race theory, I've got to say enough is enough. I'm going to get into the arena. I'm going to get bullied. I'm going to get bruised. I'm going to get bloodied. But by George, I'm going to make a difference.
2: I think, I think it's one of the positives you're seeing out of something that was a negative, which was the pandemic, but uh, yeah, except parents did get to see inside the classroom a little bit, and now the level of uh, of participation and passion that you're seeing from parents, it, it hasn't been there in a while, and and that's good. Uh, I, I believe that the home is, is the primary educator of uh, of their child and their partners with this school, but, uh, but I think for a long time too, you know, everybody's busy, and I think a, a lot of parents sort of abdicated that responsibility to schools, which is... Which is which is unfair to them, and so uh, hopefully we can get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more in balance. Because if we do, then the students will win. And Lynn, one of the things I'm hearing
1: around the state over the last twelve months is exactly what Matt said: we are asking too much of our teachers. The Republican Party will make a huge mistake if they denigrate the efforts of teachers because they don't like the political positions of teachers' unions. This is not lumping teachers in with teachers' unions. Teachers go into teaching because they want to touch kids' lives. Every one of us can remember three or four people Mm -hmm. that just powerfully influenced our lives when we were in those formative stages. We need to get out of the way and let teachers teach, and we need to reconnect the three key stakeholders. It's kids and teachers and parents, and that's the relationship. And the rest of it, we got to stop politicizing education and using it as a tool of indoctrination.
0: Let's talk a bit about uh, the uh, governor's uh, uh, action that he took, tying Minnesota directly to California fuel standards uh, without the legis bypassing the legislature and going direct through a rulemaking process. Scott, what's your what's your feelings on that?
1: We've heard a lot of accusations over the last two years about what is it to be a conspiracy theorist? I think Tim Walls in this situation has aroused. The frustration and suspicion of millions of Minnesotans, they're asking, why do we have this hodgepodge energy policy coming from Tim Tim Walls? Why Why is he doing this? Is it because he wants to push his electric cars? Is it his green program? He comes out and says, well, I want to temporarily suspend the gas tax. But which gas tax does he talk about? He talks about the federal gas tax, which is the smaller component. Versus the state. Then he doesn't talk about the state gas tax, which the governor of the state could actually have an impact on. He pushes it off to the feds. He's always playing games here. He asked the farmers, the agricultural community, decades ago, not him specifically, but the, the farmers were asked, Would you please help us with E85, blended fuels, you know, creating an opportunity for us to reduce hydrocarbon, reduce if you will, our foreign oil dependents, do all these good things. And the agricultural community stepped up and said, yeah, we'll do that. And they've done it. And along comes Tim Walls and his fickle government policies and pulls the rug right out from underneath the ag community. I can't make heads or tails of any kind of consistency in Tim Walz's energy plan. We need to start going to North and South Dakota and say, hey, we're embracing you. We need your help. We're not interested in being dependent on someone else. I'm, I'm so disappointed because if Tim Walls is, if his agenda through California car mandates is simply to push us more and more to electric cars, then as far as I'm concerned, that's socialism. Because he's telling car dealers what kind of cars they have to sell. He's telling Minnesotans, you don't get to have your 201 legislators weigh in on what rules we're going to follow regarding emissions. We're going to go with the most rigid in the nation. We're going with California, not because Minnesota wants to, but because Tim Walsh said we would. This is wrong in a thousand ways.
0: And Matt, you know from being uh, in rural areas, rural Minnesota and so on, it's a long ways between places. Yeah. And there's a lot of trucks out there and there's a lot of pickups and there's a lot of tractors and there's a lot of combines. They won't run on electricity.
2: Absolutely. I I've, I've driven a pickup since nineteen ninety-eight. That's a fact <laughs> I'm 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 very proud of. And I have eight kids, so it's 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 totally not practical. Um, yeah. but uh, no, I think I think what you're seeing with um, Tim Walls and, and, and his policies, it's 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 party first, citizen second. And 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 that's the exact opposite of of, of what you're supposed to do as a public servant, you know, I mean, I, I think one of the great things about Scott and myself is, I mean, we're we're not doing this because we're beholden to any party. We're just going to do the right things the right way for the right reasons. Um, we'll probably make some mistakes, but uh, but 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 it won't be because uh, we um, we want to do what, what what we think is best and not take not take input and not consider everybody's uh, everybody points of view and, and and realize that you know for what, what what might be right for somebody who lives in Minneapolis might not be right for somebody who uh, lives up in Hibbing, and, uh, and, and and we have to respect that.
0: We have become so divided, it appears, in Minnesota that um, there's been comments made that uh, outstate is completely different, and some politicians don't really care what goes on outside of Minneapolis and St. Paul. How do you see yourselves uh, representing the state of Minnesota versus just smaller constituencies?
2: Well, you know, th- th- you know, kind of generally speaking, Lynn, you know, I think that, uh, the far right and the far left both drive too much of the, of the political narrative between the parties. And I think here in Minnesota, there's a middle 80% that, uh, yeah, we're going to disagree on a lot of things, but, but we can coexist and we can live with each other and we can be civil, uh, and, uh, and, and, and adults. And, uh, and, and I, I remind myself of, of that often. And, uh, I'm not afraid of uh, you know, differing viewpoints or robust discussions. I mean, I worked, in a, I worked in an industry for 15 years where there'd be 53 alpha males put in a room and, uh, and almost all of them had a, had a lesser role than they wanted. And all of them thought that they were underpaid too, except for about five of them. And, uh, but you had to get everybody to pull together and, and, and go in the same direction for one common goal. And I do think that there is a, there is a pride in Minnesota that, um, and, and, and a moral fabric that, that we do we do. Um, we do understand that, uh, but it, it, it'll take leadership to get everybody going, going the same way. And, uh, and 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 I think Scott's that leader.
1: I think Greater Minnesota has every reason to feel like they got the short end of the stick over and over again. I don't care if you're talking about: Have there been any serious efforts to helping family farms stay in the stay in the family? Uh, broadband access. You've got urban people complaining bitterly that one night for five minutes, they didn't have the coverage they expected. Try to be in greater Minnesota where it takes thirty-four minutes to upload one page of instruction and be distance learning. I mean, that's an issue. I I grew up in Sleepy Eye, Minnesota, and I have seen the agricultural community not be respected for the impact they have on our economy. There's been precious little effort to make it likely or possible to keep the young people in communities like Sleepy Eye. We need to let Communities like Sleepy Eye have broad, robust broadband access so that there can be startup companies in Sleepy Eye that can compete with downtown Minneapolis companies in so many ways. We're seeing so much of our our world's economy change with Internet. Why aren't we having more incubation centers in these smaller communities when we see a hospital shut down in a community? that tears the guts out of that community. That's not a center where people go down and have a burger and a beer, but it's a place where people go to take care of their mom or their dad or their child with appendicitis. You don't have to be some tertiary medical center to provide an incredible service to a community. And we've seen hospital after hospital after hospital close. And it's because we haven't been innovative enough. Matt said it before. We've got to reimagine some things. If we want everybody to succeed, we cannot get stuck in this paradigm. And by George, Matt and I will make some mistakes, but we'll confess them and we'll move on. But we have to reimagine how things can be because otherwise we're going to leave people behind.
0: I know daycare is such a big issue, and yet I've talked to people that say, well, I used to have a daycare center, but there's so many rules, I can't do it anymore. Um, And we have people saying we need more daycare, but they're making more rules. Um, we need to address somehow how to take care of issues like that.
2: Oh, yeah, we, I, mean, I mean, we absolutely do. And, you know, I mean, you talk to a, a daycare provider, it's, the, it's a small business owner, right? And uh, I would say that the current administration has not been real friendly to, uh, to small business owners. You know, some people are, and, and big business is great. You know, big business, they provide a lot of jobs and do a lot of great things in the community and, and all that. But not everybody is a, is a big business person. And uh, I'm a small business person. I own multiple small businesses, and and to me, you spend so much time of your life working. You know, I mean, I mean, there's something to be said for people people being able to do what they do or work in the kind of kind of environment that they want to work in, so they have more more fulfilling lives. And uh, I think that uh, I think that our state needs needs to make it easier, not so onerous to 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 start and own a small business because at the end of the day, too. Um, Small businesses really are the, the the heartbeat and the backbone and uh, and and the uh, the personality of, of of their communities. They they, they make communities you know kind of what they are. And so uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a huge uh, huge advocate for small business.
0: And you know during COVID, the big box stores, national stores were open, and all the uh, small businesses were shut down in Minnesota for months. And many have not come back. Many restaurants yeah. have not come back. Yep. Um, and it's at the time, I couldn't figure it out because these small businesses can take care of situations just as well or better than some of the big box stores can do. But they were not treated equitably, I didn't think.
1: Lynn, shame on Tim Walls. The notion that we could go to the biggest candy store in Minnesota, we could go to big box liquor stores and buy the booze that we wanted to. We could go to the big box Walmarts and that. We shut down small businesses. We literally undercut the very fabric of our community. And what did we get from that? Predictably. We got young people thinking more about ending their own lives and in many instances doing it. We have seen an onslaught of anxiety-based mental health disorders. We've seen depression. We've seen increased domestic abuse, increased sexual abuse, increased physical abuse. These things were literally predictable. (laughs) Never again can we make these kinds of mistakes. Government somehow expanded in an exponential way, and they invaded our lives, stripped us of our, our rights, and then, now they're trying to back away a little bit, and I fear that Minnesotans might forget what they lived through, yeah. because when you stretch a rubber band beyond what it should be stretched, it never quite goes back to where it was, and I think there are many Minnesotans afraid that if they did it once, now government officials will think they can do this again.
0: That shut down parks, shut down sports, things outside, we're all shut down for quite a period of time.
2: Well, it's government overreach, and I think it, you know, kind of goes back to your basic philosophy is, you know, what do you believe? Do you believe that the people are there to serve the government or the government's there to to serve the people? And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess that, um, you know, s- s- some people are in politics for the power or prestige or whatever it is. Uh, but that's, that's not why I'm doing this. Uh, so I know that's not why Scott's doing this. And that's why uh that's why we're that's why we're here with you and that's why we're we're going all around and, and um and uh want to meet people and talk to people and uh you know, I, I understand politics is kind of a, a dirty word for most. A lot of people when they hear the word it, they throw open their mouth a little bit and I, I, I understand that. I'm 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 still getting over that uh over that myself. But uh but something's gotta be done because uh what we've seen the last two years or the last five years or ten years, depending on on your point of view, um Don't like the direction that we're heading in. We're better than this. We really, we're 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 a lot better than this, and uh, and it's going to take strong leadership to change that. Scott, any final comments here as we wrap up? I think the real heroes,
1: Lynn, are the people in Minnesota. They've risen up. They've acknowledged that okay, maybe they were complacent in terms of what were their kids being taught in school. Maybe they thought that secure elections were automatic because. We're Americans. Maybe they thought that public safety in our major urban areas would always be there because of Minnesota nice, but none of these things held true. And so now we find ourselves in a, in a heck of a conundrum. And so everyday folks have risen up and said, no, nope, we've had enough. We're going to do what needs to be done. God bless the everyday man and woman in Minnesota because they're really the heroes, and they're the ones who are going to give fuel to our campaign because they're not trying to demonize anyone. They're just saying the path we're on is not one we want to be on. It's not sustainable. We can be so much better. Let's go be the best.
0: All right, gentlemen, thank you. Matt, thank you.
2: Oh, my pleasure, Lynn. Thanks.
0: Good to have you here, and Scott, good to see you. Thanks, Lynn.